The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to a special episode of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are going to be taking a look at Ant-Man and the Wasp, the brand new film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ant-Man and the Wasp is directed by Peyton Reed and stars Paul Rudd, Evangelina Lilly, Michael Pena, Michael Douglas, Lawrence Fishburne, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Before we get too far into the film as a review, I thought it might serve us well to situate the film with regards to the MCU timeline, because we have jumped around a little bit. So this film picks up a little less than two years after the events of Captain America Civil War. If you recall, that's the last time we saw Ant-Man, and he along with several of the, we'll call them secret Avengers, were captured and then were broken out of the raft for participating in the fight in Germany on the side of Captain America and for not following the Sokovia Accords. Ant-Man was forced to take a plea deal and has been on house arrest for the last two years. So we find Ant-Man within a couple of days of the end of his two years house arrest. Kind of the obvious reason he did this, as established in the first film, is that as an ex-con and as someone who missed some time with his daughter, he's working very hard to rebuild the relationship he has with his daughter. So instead of trying to you know, stand up for things that he believes in and, and going down the superhero path, he has chosen instead to place that relationship higher than those things. And so he has spent the last two years on house arrest. And that is where the film picks up. Overall, I enjoyed the film. I found it to be very entertaining. It was fun. It was lighthearted. I think it was not overly burdened with too much plot, too many extra characters. There was a little bit of that, and I'll get to that here in a few minutes. But for the most part, they established an idea and a premise, and then I think rather skillfully executed that premise. Where I think the movie falls short is that although it is a very faithful follow-up to the original Ant-Man, in terms of tone and the way the film comes across, the way it makes you feel. Unfortunately, I think it's a little bit too faithful, a little bit too close. The film is definitely different. I don't think it's a rehash of the original film, which is certainly always a risk in a film like this. But, you know, the first Ant-Man was at a point where Marvel started going down a darker road with, with the overall story arc of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, we were coming on the heels of Age of Ultron and Winter Soldier, and certainly we're not talking, you know, DC expanded universe, dark and gritty, but Marvel Marvel's taking a darker turn within their own relative universe. And Ant-Man was a light and fun and kind of breezy and, and almost effortless film. And you, you watched it and you go, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I feel really good leaving that movie. And so it, it was different. It was starting to push the boundary of Marvel. Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron were pushing Marvel in a different way. And they were all kind of working together towards that end goal, that push. This was pushing in a different direction 
thing kind of all on its own. And I think it really did a lot of good for the Marvel Universe. Then, of course, we get Civil War, and eventually we get to Thor Ragnarok, which I think really pushed the limits. I have to say a lot of that had to do with director Taika Waititi and the fantastic work he did on, on Ragnarok. So by the time we get to Ant-Man and the Wasp, certainly we have pushed the darker edge of Marvel even further with Infinity War. But I think we didn't really push the limits of the, of the lighter side of Marvel with Ant-Man and Wasp. Really, we, we kind of hung out in the same territory we started with with the first Ant-Man, but the limit had been pushed further already so that it just felt kind of middle of the road in terms of its tone and its humor and things. It wasn't bad. It was certainly well done. But I found that I left the film wanting a little bit more out of it. I wanted it to challenge me a little bit more. Now, one of the things the film, I think, did exceptionally well, and I've thought about this more and more as I've had a couple of days since I've seen the film, is it does family extremely well. And it's interesting because Guardians of the Galaxy 2 had the same concept of family, except in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, it really was the family is what you make it. You may not have family in the typical sense, but, you know, you can make your family. And I really felt as though Guardians of the Galaxy kind of beat you over the head with it and was lacking in subtlety there. You can convey this concept without, quite honestly, without blatantly saying it so many times like Guardians of the Galaxy did. And I think Ant-Man did exactly that. It came in very subtle, but you see the relationship between Scott and his daughter, and you see what Scott is willing to give up in order to pursue that relationship. And then you see the relationship between Hope and Hank, a relationship that we know from the first film is horribly damaged, and it's slowly starting to get better, slowly starting to be repaired. And then, as we see in the opening of the film, Hank kind of drops this bomb that, you know, it may be possible to bring back Hope's mother, to bring back Janet, the original Wasp. And so, you know, now they're focused on trying to save a member of their family that they thought was lost. And then, finally, you have in the villain of our film, in the character Ghost, played by uh, Hannah John Kamen, you have a family-like relationship, a fatherly relationship with her and Bill Foster, played by Lawrence Fishburne. And yeah, I'm really glad they didn't do this because the, you certainly could have gone for a romantic relationship there. And there was a moment towards the end of the film where I felt like they were going to go there and they didn't. And I'm really glad they didn't because it, it felt kind of creepy. And I remember sitting in my seat going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Because I think it would have absolutely not ruined the film, but it would have undermined a lot of what they were going for and really messed up that relationship. So instead, we get a very paternal relationship. But unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, they don't have to beat me over the head. I, I understand it. It turns out the audience is smarter than think. So, you know, where other Marvel films kind of fell flat on this topic, this concept, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp really got a solid hit on it. I don't know if I call it a home run necessarily, but, you know, maybe it didn't feel double. Like, like a good, solid hit and, and, and just well played by everyone. So with that, now that I've mentioned the characters, I think it's worth talking about our villain, who is Ghost. And Ghost is basically the product of a failed experiment, not specifically on her. So Ghost's father was a scientist who worked at S.H.I.E.L.D. with Hank Pym. And as we find out, and as those of you who have been following the podcast and following the Avengers comics know, Hank Pym is kind of a dick. And apparently he always has been, which I liked. It's very fitting of the character. You know, it's one of those things we've learned over the course of this podcast and the 50-something issues we've covered so far. Hank Pym isn't always a really nice guy. Hank basically 
Bailey gets this guy fired. The reasoning is unclear. There's a bit of he said, she said. But the scientist goes off and decides to continue his work in secret. And one of his experiments fails. And as a result, his daughter Ava is exposed to this quantum rays or something. Everything starts with the word quantum. And they even make a joke about it in the film. It's like, do you guys just put quantum in front of everything? And the short answer is yes. You know, it's kind of like radiation in the in the 60s in Marvel Comics. Like, it's just kind of a frosting they just coat everything with to make it better. But as a result of this accident, Ava finds herself able to phase through matter. And so Lawrence Fishburne is Bill Foster is called down to investigate this, as they call it, quantum anomaly. And he finds this girl and he tries to help her. Now, we find out that although Bill Foster has the best of intentions, some of the other people that he's working with at S.H.I.E.L.D. do not. And so they build her this suit and they train her to be this infiltration combat specialist. And she goes and she does things that she's not very proud of. As the story progresses, we find out that Ava doesn't have a whole lot of time left to live. Her condition has been getting significantly worse and she probably only has a couple of more weeks to live. So she has gotten desperate and is going after some technology that is also being sought after by Hope and Hank. So Hope and Hank, as I mentioned before, are trying to go into the quantum realm and save the original Wasp, save Janet Van Dyne. So they are building a quantum tunnel and some of the technology they need is also some of the same technology that Ava needs. So this brings them into conflict. And that's kind of where that part of the, the story goes is that Hank, Hope, and eventually Scott are trying to get this technology from Ava, and they're fighting back and forth over Hank's lab, which is now portable. Basically, the building shrinks, and it can be drug around like a little suitcase, as we saw in the trailer. And Ava, who needs this technology to try and save her own life. Now, where Scott comes into this is that when Hank and Hope make their first attempt at opening their quantum tunnel, it doesn't work. But at the same time, Scott has a dream or vision, and it's through the eyes of Janet of something that happened when Hope was a child. And what they think happened is that when Scott was in the quantum realm during the first film, you know, if you remember at the end, that he came in contact with Wasp unknowingly. And that as a result, the two of them have become connected in some way. The way they're connected, there's a couple of different theories that they go through throughout the film. I don't need to go into that. But the two of them become connected. So the idea is that that the next time they try and open the tunnel, they're hoping that this triggers another vision within Scott that they, they can then use to lock onto Janet and go save her. And so that's why they need this technology is to make their quantum tunnel work. And then finally, there's actually a third party involved whose involvement I don't really feel is necessary. And that is of the Southern character named Sonny Birch. Sonny basically deals in black market tech. So Sonny's actually the person who is selling the tech to Hope and then Ava steals the tech from. And what ends up happening is that Sonny finds out that Hope is actually Hope and who her father is. And he's interested in selling their technology to some buyer that is unnamed. And he is extremely insistent upon being able to sell this. So he tries to steal the lab. 
in general, I don't think the character, one, is particularly well done. It's this very kind of over-the-top, stereotypical, southern, kind of modern southern gentleman. You know, we, we typically see this films that are trying to portray, like, southern congressmen or senators. It, it's a very stereotypical portrayal of southerners that's not a redneck. And it's not very well done, and the character's kind of redundant. Now, his efforts do lead to some really funny moments, especially when he starts interacting with Michael Pena's character, Luis, who we know from the first film is a bizarre yet excellent storyteller. Sonny tries to get some information out of Luis using various chemicals to to help him out. And it's really an entertaining sequence where Luis's storytelling is just turned up to 11. And that was a lot of fun. But otherwise, the character is kind of not really serving a whole lot of a purpose. You could have written him out of the film, maybe trimmed about 10 minutes off the film, and I don't think you would have hurt yourself at all. Now, I have heard rumors that this is setting up the possibility of bringing Norman Osborn into the Marvel Universe because, you know, it's this unnamed businessman who's interested in this lab, and this sounds like something that Norman Osborn might be interested in. But to be perfectly honest, I don't care. I don't find the character of Norman Osborn particularly compelling. They've done him on film, you know, multiple times now, never to what I would call a whole lot of success. In addition to that, Norman Osborn on his own is not very interesting, not very intimidating. I find Lex Luthor to be a far more interesting villain than Norman Osborn because I think he's generally better done. So if it is a open door for Norman Osborn to join the Marvel Universe, so be it. But I don't think that's necessarily even desirable. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the, the general gist of this of the, the plot at least in terms of overall kind of where it's going without getting too deep into the details uh, once again I really enjoy Paul Rudd as, as Scott Lang as Ant-Man I think he does a really good job he does the father trying to do better bit really really well the one thing I didn't care for as much in this film is because it's super science heavy Scott comes across as kind of an idiot and Scott's supposed to have a master's in electrical engineering. And if you remember, his crime was, you know, high-tech hacking and that kind of stuff. And I think some of Scott's innate intelligence gets lost in the film because of the, the techno babble, because of the quantum everything. So after a while, I got kind of bored with that part and I was a little disappointed. Evangeline Lilly is really, really very good as the Wasp. The character was a little bit tough in the first film. I don't mean like, you know, oh, she was, she was hardcore, she was tough, she was, you know, cold. While she was all of those things, that worked in character. She just was a very difficult character to enjoy on screen in the first film. And in this film, she's much, much more interesting. I really enjoy the interaction between the two, especially when they're fighting against Ghost. Because Evangeline Lilly has a very martial arts and kind of acrobatic style. Plus the fact that she's got the, the built-in wasp wings, you know, kind of lend themselves to that a lot. Whereas Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, although the two of them train together, he still has like a more of a boxing or kind of a brawler style to him. So the two of them balance each other very well and work together as partners extremely well. And honestly, I do feel at least a little bit of chemistry between the two of them. I think they did a good job of not overly selling that because it's not necessarily the focus of the film. 
but when there are romantic scenes on screen, I at least find them believable. Once again, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym does a really good job, and I think the story does a good job of kind of backing up. Not only is he a you know crotchety older guy, but he's been a dick for a long time. And when he goes to find Janet, you start to see him kind of open up a little bit in that, yeah, he's been a dick for a long time, and that's just part of his personality. But at the same time, those things that really drove him over the edge was losing Wasp. And the fact that he has this chance to bring her back and to save her, he really does a great job of portraying how much that actually means to him. And and how desperate he is for this to work. And speaking of Wasp, I mean, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is an amazing looking woman, no matter what they do. White hair, doesn't matter. Just great looking woman. Unfortunately, she really didn't get all that much screen time. I don't find it surprising, given the premise of the film and what they were trying to do, that, you know, they're not going to bring her back in the first act. It's going to be a kind of climactic third act sort of deal. So she's not going to get that much screen time. I am looking forward to getting more of her in the next film's but I, th- I enjoyed what I saw. Lawrence Fishburne, as always, is wonderful. The man has just an incredible screen presence. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for a long time realize that I am a big fan of Bill Foster, and I think that Lawrence Fishburne did a very good job with the character. Again, he's not... There's no romantic thing with he and Ava, though they could have taken it that way. For a moment, I thought they were going to make him into a villain, and they don't. He is a man who is trying to do the right thing for someone who is in trouble. I think most of us can kind of empathize with that situation, where you've got a friend who you know is doing things they shouldn't be doing, and you can't help but just try and be a good friend for them, to try and help them however you can, even though you know they're probably doing things they shouldn't be doing. And that's really the position Lawrence Fishburne finds himself especially given the fact that he takes on a a very paternal role towards Ava. And Lawrence Fishburne just does it very well. Honestly, I think the only performance I really did not enjoy was Hannah John Kamen as Ava as Ghost. At times, she felt very wooden, and her facial expressions were just almost non-existent. For someone who is a professional actor, she really failed to kind of emote. I'll be fair, I am accused of not being very emotional, not emoting very well, on a fairly regular basis. And honest to God, I think I could have done a better job with facial expressions than she did. It was always this kind of just like exasperated, half exhausted, half just fed up look, no matter what was going on. And, you know, after a while, I I want a little bit more depth than that. And, you know, I gotta say, Ant-Man is one of those ones that's really difficult because until the Ant-Man film started coming out, you could have put a gun to my head and I could not have rattled off any Ant-Man villains, at least not intentionally. It just, it wouldn't have been a thing. So you're already working at kind of a disadvantage of playing a lesser villain. This is not Loki. This is not the Mandarin. This is not Red Skull. These are not the high-end Marvel Cinematic Universe villains. You know, this is kind of CD-list villainy. Ghost is a member of the Thunderbolts. That should tell you something. Even with that, I think there's a lot you can do with the character that I think she just missed out on or didn't take advantage of. Earlier, I mentioned the rumor that Norman Osborn may be coming or may have been alluded to in this film. What I'm really hoping for is that with the introduction of Ghost, we can slowly move ourselves towards a Thunderbolts film because, man, I would really love to see that. Uh, I really enjoy Thunderbolts. It's like Suicide Squad, but, you know, better and like well done more often than not. So I'm excited 
for that little tiny possibility. But otherwise, you know, if they don't ever touch Ghost again, uh, you know, I'm not at a loss. I, I can I can live with it. So I think the last thing worth talking about from the actual film itself is the fact that we, of course, have our mid and post credit scenes. While the post credit scene was uh, somewhat anticlimactic, it was an ant playing drums, which is funny, but not necessarily worth the wait through the credits that I had to suffer through. Uh, the mid credit scene was pretty impressive. So as I mentioned, the film takes place about two years after Civil War, but it doesn't necessarily place itself with regards to Infinity War until the post credit scene. So during the post credit scene, Ant-Man goes back into the quantum realm to go get more particles to go help Yul Ava. And just as he's ready to come back, his mic goes dead. And on the other side of the mic, back in the normal size universe, is supposed to be Hank, Hope, and Janet and you know as Hank's trying to call and reach them and get help we cut back to the real size world and there are three small piles of ash blowing away so obviously the implication there is that this is the moment at which Thanos snaps his fingers and all three of these characters are uh, among the half that cease to exist so the very end of the film the post credit scene lines up with Infinity War now the fun thing here is going to be kind of where they take this next because right now Scott is trapped in the quantum realm so we don't know how long he's going to be trapped there. And, you know, we'll kind of have to see from there. But this does open the door for the possibility of stuff in the microverse, the Micronauts, things like that. But it also explains why Ant-Man was not present in Civil War. So really, the only one we're still waiting to figure out what's going on with is Hawkeye. And uh, I don't honestly think we're going to see that until Avengers 4. So taking a look at the box office numbers for Ant-Man, you know, the numbers are actually, I think, pretty good. Now, obviously, they're not like the, the blockbuster, you know, blowing out out the house kind of numbers that we expect from most Marvel films, but so far Ant-Man pulled in a domestic gross of $75 million. When compared to the original Ant-Man, that's actually an improvement of something like 18, 17, 18 million dollars. Now I'll be curious to see because the, at least the numbers I'm looking at don't have a budget for Ant-Man and the Wasp, but the original Ant-Man is actually one of the lowest grossing Marvel films, which is interesting because pretty much everyone I know who saw it enjoyed it, but domestically it only grossed 180 million. So I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is probably going to do better than that. I just don't know how much better. And depending on what the budget was, you know, we'll kind of have to, I, th I think Marvel will have to do some evaluation as to whether or not they're going to keep going with more Ant-Man films or whether they're just going to kind of sweep him up into the larger MCU and move on to bigger and better things. The other thing is we may finally be kind of hitting the end of the, the days of Marvel can do no wrong. I think we're still going to get, you know, some of the big like mind blowing blockbuster stuff like Black Panther and Infinity War and hopefully Captain Marvel, but we may be reaching a point where, you know, maybe we've oversaturated a little bit and Marvel films aren't going to do, you know, $500 million domestically. They're going to do, you know, 150, 175, and that'll be good numbers. As long as they can keep their budgets down, which certainly is tough in the superhero genre, but as other films have demonstrated, not impossible. You know, I, th I think while this may be a, kind of a sign of changing times, I don't know that it's necessarily uh, a, a harbinger of doom, so to speak. So again, overall, I did really enjoy the film. I just was hoping for more out of it. And I'm a little disappointed that we just got a kind of improved storytelling and pumped up budget version of the first film in terms of tone. So, you know, if there's another one coming on, great. If there's not, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still be content with what we have and I, I will 
definitely go back and watch this uh, again when I have some time. So with all of that out of the way, let me just go ahead and talk at you for another minute and kind of explain a, a few a few things. So obviously this is the first podcast we've had, with the exception of Tidewater Comic Con, in probably almost seven weeks. Uh, I very much appreciate you know people who have stuck with this uh, through some of the screwy parts of this. Uh, I had the big move, which I'm probably about you know 75, 80% settled in. Uh, very excited to be in the new house and the new command center, if you will, for some assembly required. So I've got a whole nice little podcasting area set up. It's very, very nice, and I'm, I'm quite enjoying it now that I'm getting a chance to use it for, for that purpose. And then, quite honestly, my work schedule just went to absolute hell. Um, I have worked a normal, it's not quite nine to five, but a normal, as we call it, day shift schedule uh, two days in the last five or six weeks. It's been a very, very screwy, crazy week. And there have been days and there have been weeks where I have bounced between shifts within the week. So, you know, it's stay up all night, Sunday night, trying to go on back 12s for two days then roll back to a day shift then roll back to mid shift. Unfortunately, that doesn't leave me a whole lot of time for doing the research I need to do for this podcast and quite honestly making the podcast and doing the edits. It's been very unfortunate. However, there is at least some sense of an end in sight. So with that in mind, I am looking forward to finally getting back to doing some assembly required. You know, I really enjoy doing this podcast. Uh, reading the Avengers has been a lot of fun. Getting to talk about them and express my views on them is certainly something I enjoy doing, and I hope you enjoy listening. So, you know, there may be some some bumpy parts still. Um, I do have my son's birthday coming up and a lot of family coming into town, so that's going to eat up some of my time. Plus, I do still have some, some screwy work schedules coming up, but hopefully there is enough of that behind me and those are infrequent enough that I can kind of work around them and uh, really get back to doing this show because you know I've got a lot of positive feedback of, of about the show from people who've listened and you know I don't want to let you guys down I enjoy doing this and uh, you know from from what I understand you guys do too so I appreciate you for bearing with me and you know it's time to move onward and upward and into the future and more amazing Avengers episodes remember you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to andrew at avengersassembly.com. Next week, we are finally getting back to new episodes, and we will be picking up where we left off with Avengers number 58. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.